Well, this morning it is Thanksgiving, of course, and since it's Thanksgiving today, I thought we'd take a little bit of time and we would talk about food and drink and festivals and holidays and what we as Christians should really make of them and, and what we really have to be thankful for. And uh, there was a church in Apostle, the Apostle Paul's time in the New Testament in the city of Colossae, and Paul wrote a letter to that city in Colossae, and it's the letter to the Colossians. Makes sense, right? And they apparently had some questions about food and drink and festivals, and how does that all fit in with what we are in Christ and who we are in Christ? Because in his letter to that church in chapter 2, Paul uh, speaks to this issue and has this to say about people who are being judged, Christians in the church who are being judged about their eating and their drinking and the festivals that they acknowledge. And I think it's still relevant to us today. And uh, so we're looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and then moving on uh, various points from there. And uh, so our, our key text here is Colossians 2, 16 to 17, and it reads this way. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so the interesting thing here in this text, and as we get into it, you'll see that Paul is, there's actually a fairly sophisticated teaching that Paul is doing here. Paul's never usually saying something simple. But what he's saying here, and the reasoning that Paul gives for Christians not to feel judged, or to allow themselves to be judged... He says the reason is, is because all these things that you're partaking in are just shadows. They are not the real substance. And so don't let anyone judge you about your enjoyment of the shadows. So Paul led up to this point in this letter by stating in verses 1 to 15, one of the great statements of our identity in Jesus Christ. And you could go back this afternoon and read that statement in in chapter 2, verses 1 to 15, but it concludes this way. And he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Like just fantastic. You got to read the whole thing. Like it's amazing. Paul makes this statement. And, and the reason I bring that up is because then he goes from there and he says immediately after that, our text, he says, therefore, therefore, because of this amazing reality of Christ Jesus, because all of this is true of who we are in Christ Jesus, he says, therefore, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in regards to questions of food and drink or the festivals that you acknowledge. It's incredible. He says you're no longer bound up in these silly religious ideas that people have about food and drink and festivals. In fact, the logic Paul uses is that they're shadows, they're not substance. So forget about all these rules about eating and drinking. Forget about all these rules about, you know, feasts and things that you have to do. And if you don't do this, if you don't, you know, in our day it would be if you don't aren't at Christmas or you don't celebrate Easter or whatever, then you're not measuring up as a Christian, right? He's saying don't let people judge you in that. What Paul is saying here is that there is a substance. There is something real that you now know as Christians, and that real thing is not whether you drink this or eat that or don't eat that or do this festival. That's not the real thing. The real thing is Christ Jesus. And like all real substantive things, Christ casts a shadow, Paul is saying. 
So he has this metaphor going on, this figure of speech that says the substance is Christ, and Christ, because he's substantial, is casting a shadow, like anything substantial casts a shadow. It's not literally the shadow of Jesus on the ground. I mean, Jesus did cast a shadow when he was here and walking. But Paul is saying that the shadow of Christ is in the created things of this world. Paul is saying that the substance of Jesus as creator, as sustainer, as redeemer, as healer, as provider, Jesus in the substance of all those qualities casts a shadow in our physical world into our reality. And so we should see that all of these things that we do, the things we eat, the things we drink, the, the, the Sunday mornings we have, the, the celebrations we have, the festivals we have, they are all just a shadow of the goodness of Christ Jesus, who is the real substance. All these things are not the real thing, but they point towards the real thing. They give shape to the real thing. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is saying to the churches in Colossae. He's saying, listen, when it comes to the Sabbath, or for us, maybe we would say Sunday, same thing. When it comes to the Sabbath, when it comes to the new moon, or we would say to New Year's or to Easter or to Thanksgiving. And Paul, if you notice in the list there, he's not differentiating between cultural festivals and religious feasts or holy days. He's talking about Sabbaths and he's talking about new moons. He says when it comes to these festivals, they're good things, but they're just a shadow. They're not the substance. Eventually you need the substance. You can't live on shadows. Shadows won't ultimately satisfy. Shadows are entertaining. Shadows show us a picture of something. But ultimately shadows have to lead back to the substance that formed them. And shadows are just shadows. And so Paul on one hand is saying at the beginning of this text, don't let people judge you over things that are figuratively immaterial to your spiritual life. Don't don't let people judge you over those things. And so the first part of what we want to see here in this text is what Paul is teaching here is that we can enjoy the shadow. The lesson here that I don't want you to take away is to not not enjoy the shadow, right? Just the opposite. Don't let people scare you away from enjoying the shadow of the good things. We should enjoy the shadow that Jesus casts onto the world. So enjoy the festival. Enjoy the feast. God made the created world for us to enjoy, and he gave us senses to enjoy it. The physical world was God's idea, right? Taste. And smell and sight were God's idea. God invented pleasure, so we should enjoy it. So when you sit down to that Thanksgiving meal with good food and close families, Paul wants you to enjoy it. Praise and thanksgiving flow from our delight in God's creation. And in the next verse, actually, Paul makes it super clear. In verse 18, which we're going to get to shortly, Paul actually says, literally, don't let anyone insist on asceticism. That means we don't have to live like Franciscan monks and frown all the time. So don't let anybody this afternoon tell you that enjoying pumpkin pie and whipped cream is bad. It's good to enjoy pumpkin pie and whipped cream. All right, I wanted to make sure that you understood that that's what this text said. Paul says, don't let people judge you when you're enjoying the shadow of the real substance. So I don't want you to leave today thinking you have to toss the turkey out and eat oatmeal, right? Don't leave thinking that Paul said it was wrong to enjoy the shadow. Both Pauls, the apostle and the pastor, want you to enjoy the turkey. (laughs) But what the apostle is saying to the Colossians and to us is that while you are on that second piece of pie, (laughs) remember that these things are just a shadow. 
So while you're, rem- while you're eating that turkey, while you're having that dinner, even while you are with your family and enjoying that fellowship with loved ones, remember that the, as great and as good and as joyful and as blessing as that is to you, that is just a shadow of the substance that we are going to enjoy. That's what Paul wants you to know. So as good as that food tastes, as happy as you are with that family, and I hope you're happy with your family, that is just a shadow of what is to come. So why is it important that Paul says that they are shadows? Because if we go through Thanksgiving, and for that matter, if we go through any week in our life, if we go to any wedding, if we go to any festival, if we go through any walk in the woods, or we sit through any given Sunday, and we don't see Jesus as the substance behind the shadow in all those things, then we're just settling for the shadow instead of the substance. And Paul doesn't want us to do that either. If all we have is shadow, it will let our hearts down. Jesus casts a long shadow. And what I mean by that is that all of creation and family and friends and church and nature and everything in it, work, is the shadow of Jesus. Jesus casts his shadow over all of creation because it was created by him and for him. And so as we go through life, first kisses and family vacations and flowers on Mother's Day and fishing and football and a hard day's work, All of those things are shadows of the goodness that is ultimately cast by Jesus. And we can go back to Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. And so the preacher calls himself the preacher at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, probably King Solomon. He's saying that you can look and find God in everything and never come to the end of him. Our hearts will never fill up with all that God has to offer and what God is doing in everything. The shadow that we have in this world is pointing towards an infinite reality, an infinite substance that is casting that shadow. And that substance is Christ, Paul says. And you'll never fill up and discover all the things that Christ is doing. So what's an example of that? An example that I can look to in this, in a a Christian context, and I think we see most clearly in Scripture, is marriage. So just as an example, just as a little aside, we'll look at how we take marriage and see it as a shadow of the substance of Christ Jesus. And so very briefly, let's look at that in Ephesians 5. Weddings are one of the most substantive things that we do as a culture, right? We go out of our way to make our wedding something powerful and memorable. I mean, we have the dresses, the tuxedos, the guests, the ceremony, the vows, the family drama, the coordinator, you know, the special music, people crying, you know, speeches and a feast and and dancing and the whole deal. Our culture has pushed weddings into this extravagant you know, the most substantial party you'll ever be to, a once-in-a-lifetime event that actually, sadly, isn't usually a once-in-a-lifetime event anymore. But we try to do that, right? And as a pastor, I can tell you, I love doing Christian weddings because often Christian weddings are a little more subdued. They're a lot more relaxed. But most importantly, they acknowledge and they point to the substance that's behind the shadow. They don't try to be the substance. They acknowledge the substance that they are reflecting in their marriage. And so you look at Ephesians 5, and we see this substance and shadow being taught to us here even in Scripture. And I'll just 
For the sake of time, well, we have time. I'll read it quickly. It's important that we read this and get a little reminder even today. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And we're not having a sermon on that today. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for so no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Do you see how often there that Paul says repeatedly for the husband and the wife and the marriage as a whole and everything that is going on is that it is a reflection of Christ Jesus? That our marriage, our relationship, our husbands and wives, our children, everything that's going on in marriage is a shadow of a more substantive reality of Christ and his people, of Christ and his kingdom. And so according to the text we just read, a man would love the woman by sacrifice, by giving himself to her. So the man loves his wife regardless of her response to that love. And how opposite is that of our culture's view of marriage? Where I love you as long as you're giving me what I need. And when you stop giving me what I need, then we renegotiate our relationship. The Bible says you don't love your wife because she makes you happy or does everything you want. You love her because Christ loves his church in an unwavering and unstoppable and never ceasing kind of love. And that substantive love of Christ is to be reflected or it's to cast its shadow in our marriage. And so you husbands love your wife like Christ loves the church with the same unwavering, unstopping, never ceasing kind of love that Christ has. Because marriage is a shadow of Christ's substance, and Christ's substance is unwavering. I loved you, Christ would say, when you hated me, didn't I? When you were throwing pots and pans one day and you were ignoring me the next, did not I, Christ, come and love you and give my life up for you? I loved you like that. So if the pots and pans are flying, you don't stop loving your wife because Christ didn't stop loving us. Man, it says essentially that you love her with gentleness and humility here. And that's easy when things are good, but not so easy when things are hard. But Ephesians 5 doesn't say, be gentle and humble unless she's super annoying. And if she's really annoying, then it's fine. You can be a jerk right back at her. Right? That's not what Ephesians 5 says. It says you are to love her no matter what. Love her like you love yourself. Whatever excuses or grace that you give yourself when you're having a bad day, because we can make lots of excuses for why we're having a bad day and acting the way we are, If you love yourself enough to give yourself a break, you give her the same break you would give yourself. You give her the same grace that you would offer yourself. Paul says you're meant to nourish and cherish your wife just as Christ does the church. You love your wife like Christ loves the church. You sacrifice your life for your wife the way Christ sacrificed for the church. And you nourish and cherish your wife just as Christ nourishes and treasures his church. And I'm a man, so I'm speaking mainly to the men here, but the same instruction is for the women as well. Women, it says, treat your response to your husband in the same way you would respond to the Lord. 
However you would respond to Jesus if he asked you, you should respond to your husband in the same way when he asked you. If your husband's going to shoulder his role in the marriage and do well at his role, you have to participate in that too. Neither of you, husband or wife, are trying to frustrate the other. But all through this text, the point that that, that Paul is showing and that I'm trying to illuminate here in the context of the substance and the shadow is that we see our marriage is a shadow of the real substance. And unless we understand that our marriage is a shadow and that it is actually Jesus who needs to be the substance, our marriages will fail. We will not have the joy that God wants for us in our marriage if we try to treat the shadow like the substance. And so many times, in all areas of our life, we try to treat the shadow like the substance. We say, it's the the shadow that has to satisfy me. It's the shadow that has to sustain me. It's the shadow that has to provide for me. I want my marriage to give me everything that I want. I want my friends to give me what I want. I want my work to fulfill me. I want the food to give me pleasure. And we put our hope in the shadow. And Paul is saying, you can't put your hope in the shadow. It will let you down. You have to look to the substance that is casting the shadow. And that substance in everything is Jesus, not just in marriage, but you can go through Paul's epistles. You can go through his letters. And he talks about it in terms of marriage. He talks about it in terms of parenting. He talks about it in terms of work. He talks about it in terms of being a boss. He talks about it in being an employee. In every aspect of life, Paul repeatedly points us back to Christ and he says, you work as though for the Lord. And bosses, you treat your employees because they are made in the image of God and they deserve your respect. And he talks about parents, not frustrating children. He points everything back to the substance, which is Christ Jesus. All of this is a shadow. And Paul says, enjoy the shadow, but remember there's a substance behind it all, not just in Thanksgiving dinner, but in your marriage, in your work, in everything that is fulfilling you. There is a substance that is casting that shadow. And if we depend on the shadow, we will fail. So let's bring it back then. Now, what is Paul saying about the shadow and the substance? And there's another lesson here. Like I said, Paul's nothing's ever simple with Paul. Colossians 2, he goes on in 16 and 19. So he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to any of these festivals. They're a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Then he says, and we get more clarity here. He he expands it a little. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Now, what is Paul talking about here? How did we get from new moons and festivals to worship of angels, right? What is he talking about? And so Paul is saying, do enjoy the shadow, but remember it's just a shadow and don't get caught up with or judged by people who seem to love the shadow more than the substance. That's what, that's what this next part of the verse is pointing towards. So in the church context of this city of Colossae, Paul could see that a lot of people were getting really excited by and putting too much importance on what Paul here is calling shadowy things. And it's an interesting list, right? It starts out with what you're eating and drinking and festivals and rules about that. But then in verse 18, he shifts his description to these misguided people who are caught up in shadowy things. And his description is kind of interesting. It's kind of spot on, actually. He says, don't let these people disqualify you by insisting you follow them in their worship of angels or going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reasons by their sensuous or um, emotional or, or, you know, rapturous minds. And so Paul is saying, don't let anyone make you feel like you're a second class citizen just because you don't see angels. He talks about the worship of angels here, which is just so wrong in so many ways. That's a whole other topic. 
right? Or, or having prophetic dreams and visions. And people that can go on and on and on about all the revelation that God is giving them. People who are clearly puffed up, and that is they are arrogant or boasting about their amazing connection with God. Right? Now let's be honest, we've met some of these people, right? We've met these people in the church that are always talking about their visions and their connection with God and, and, and that they're on this spiritual plane that's just above you know, the normal plane of existence. And, and Paul's describing those types of people. When, when you read that description and it sounds like them, that's because that's who Paul's talking about. And he's saying, don't let those people disqualify you. Don't let them judge you. Don't, make them, don't let them make you feel bad because they're on some sort of higher spiritual plane that they think that they're on. Because it's not a higher spiritual plane. He's saying be careful of these people because they not only, those types of people not only tend to get judgy about, you know, whether you're following all the rules about what you should be eating and drinking and the festivals that you are acknowledging, but they also tend to be the people that hyper-spiritualize everything as if the spiritual world is somehow superior to the physical and forgetting that God made both. The physical world was not a mistake and it's what God created. And so now this is where you need a little history lesson real quick. In Paul's day, this is who he's specifically talking to, Okay. In Paul's day, there's a word for these people, and, you, and you, it's clear who Paul's talking to if you understand the history of the day. He's warning the Colossians about Gnostics. There's a sect of people, Christians, who called themselves the Gnostics, and they followed something called Gnosticism. And it was an early church deviation from the true gospel and pure Christianity in one main important way. The Gnostics drew the false conclusion that the natural world was intrinsically bad and inferior while the spiritual world was good and superior. And so Christianity was supposed to be for them a denial of the physical. And that's why Paul is talking about judging you based on food and drink and festivals and enjoying those things and increasingly embracing the spiritual. So the more you embrace the spiritual, the better Christian you were. And they believed that all true knowledge was mysterious and spiritual and it came through visions and through sensuous experiences and that only people who had discovered or had insights of this spiritual mystical nature were the people that were really saved, that there were the really the first-class Christians. Those were the Gnostics. And that's exactly who Paul's talking about here. And, they're saying, and Paul is saying that this might sound logical. It might sound like the spiritual is better than the physical. It might seem like maybe some of the things Jesus said sounded that way, but it misses the whole point of the gospel which is that God is redeeming and sanctifying the physical world and our bodies. He's not just whisking us away as ghostly spirits, but God's plan of redemption is actually to redeem the physical world that he created and intended to be physical because the physical world is good. And the physical world will continue. Jesus is resurrected into a new physical body, the first fruits of the bodies that we will receive when we're resurrected, and we will have a physical existence for all eternity. And so this idea of Gnosticism, this idea that visions and prophecy and these mystical experiences are somehow superior to just meat and potatoes and reading your Bible and enjoying Jesus in the physical world is superior, is false, Paul is saying. He's saying, don't let those people judge you. They are missing the point. They've pursued mystical experiences as superior to simple Bible study. And Paul's description of these people is pretty spot on, and he's saying, don't let them judge you. Don't get sucked into their error. They are hung up on angels and visions and sensuality or emotional experiences as if they are real believers, and they don't have the real knowledge of Christ Jesus and the gospel. 
You can just enjoy Jesus in the meat and potatoes physical world. And that's okay. And Paul's rebuke of them really comes home in the next verse in 19 when he says, they are not holding fast to the head. These people are not holding fast to God, to Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished in it together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. And look at how physical his description is there. He's saying there's a head and there's a body and there's joints and there's ligaments and there's growth. He's saying these people are disconnected from the reality of the substance that what God is doing in his people. He says they're not really holding tightly to God. They've lost their grasp on the simple truth of God from whom real nourishment and growth comes from. And then down, all, if you keep going all the way down to verse 23, he just keeps going and he says they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity, but they are of no value. I mean, Paul just dismisses these people. So from Ecclesiastes to Ephesians to Colossians, what's, what's the common message or thread here that the scripture is constantly weaving into our hearts? What, what is Paul saying? What is Solomon saying in these places? He's saying, engage in all aspects of life, knowing that God has made them to reveal himself. Everything that you encounter is to reveal more about Christ Jesus, the substance. And a Christian can and a Christian must eat steak or turkey or tofu, I guess, (laughs) to the glory of God because they are a shadow of the creator and the provider that we will feast with in eternity. So when you're eating food and drinking drink, you eat and drink to the glory of God because they are good shadows, but they are more importantly shadows of an incredible eternal substance. A Christian can, Paul says, and a Christian must see the substance that the shadow is pointing towards in things like marriage and family and work and community and church and Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving. As you work your way through Paul's letter, he explains over and over again the way that we treat our wives, the way we treat our employees, the way we act with our children, the way we conduct our business with each other in the community. Everything is done in the shadow of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. And a Christian must not fall into the error of thinking that the created world and the things that we do in everyday life are somehow not as spiritual or not as important to God as the spiritual things, so-called. Everything that we do is in the shadow of Christ Jesus, and everything is to be done for Christ Jesus, no matter how simple or menial that it appears to us. They are all just shadows that point to the substance. God created us as physical creatures and all these physical things and all of our senses and everything that we engage in for our joy all point to our hearts towards the substance of Christ Jesus. The shadow will not ultimately satisfy. Don't set your heart on the shadow, Paul would say. But the shadows point us to the one who fully satisfies. So as we are being satisfied in Thanksgiving dinners, as we are being satisfied at work, as we are being satisfied in the things that we do in the community, those things are good to satisfy us, but only as they point to the substance, which is Christ Jesus. So do eat well, do enjoy the pie, and give thanks for it. And remember today especially, the substance that is casting that shadow that we enjoy, that substance is Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is true, that as captivating 
as this world can be, as amazing as the colors of fall are, as beautiful as our families are, as good as the food tastes, these are simply shadows of something so much better to come. And so we give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks that even your shadow is good in a fallen world. Your shadow is still good for us. We can't even imagine what the substance will be, but we're thankful that we can enjoy it for eternity because of what your son has done for us on the cross. We give thanks for you today. In Christ's name, amen.